Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. It is currently 9.15 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where currently my neighbors have finally, well, stopped making so much noise, okay? Earlier today, I, I, I came up here to this very studio ready to turn on the microphone, to go live, to do all the live broadcast that I needed to do because we are so far behind. And let me just tell you, it's creating a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress on this side of the microphone. The, after every 24 hour, after every 24 hours, I get more upset and more bothered because I realize, look, I, I'm never going to catch up. I've got so many different series going on. There's so many things happening that we need to be talking about, but I have not been able to record. Today, the problem was my neighbors, not that they were doing anything wrong. They were, I don't know what they were having installed. I don't know what they were doing, but they had, there was all this equipment over there. They were doing some kind of construction and where my, where the Theology Central studio is located, which is the second story bedroom here in my home, the window right behind me, um, there's a window unit uh, and an air conditioning window unit. And uh, because of that, well, it's, it's not completely soundproof as you can imagine. And so the sound was like, there's just no way. So I kept sat. I, I, I sat here in this, I, I was sitting here. I sat here in this chair. I don't know, for a couple of hours today, just going to commit. Maybe they'll stop. Maybe they'll stop. Maybe they'll stop. I'm like, okay, okay. Get everything ready. All right. Let's go. Never mind. About, about, almost every single time I got ready to push the button to go live, all the noise would start again. And I'm like, this is just so the whole day was wasted. So that's why you haven't had really any live broadcast. There's other things going on as well that has gotten in the way. So I apologize because we are way, way, way behind. And you know what we're way behind in. And our study of the book of Amos, we are so far behind in our study of the book of Amos. Now, part of the problem is, well, I went on vacation and I, trust me, I still, I, I feel bad. I feel guilty because, you know, man, I was gone when I, I, I needed to be right here. We started this such important, the study of the book of Amos, I believe is so important. And I, I, we, I missed like basically eight days just from the vacation. And then now you take the other issues. I'm hoping tomorrow there'll be no problems next door. And I can really make it a day of a lot of live broadcast and try to catch up. So I apologize. Please don't allow the lack of live broadcast from me hinder your study in the book of Amos. I've given you an entire Bible study method to use. I've done so much. I try to get you started. So please keep utilizing that. But I thought I, can't, I just got home from church just about what, 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. And I thought, you know what? I, I, Yes, it's it's almost 9.30 p.m. Central Time, 10, almost 10.30 p.m., you know what, Eastern Time, all the different time zones. I, I don't know who will be actually listening live. I think most of our live broadcast typically comes in the during the daytime, maybe early evening. But as you get later, obviously people are going to bed and they don't want to listen to me as they're trying to go to sleep. I mean, I'm not the most relaxing person in the world. But I thought, you know what, even if no one is listening live, I'll go live 
and we'll get in at least one episode tonight for the Bible study exercise for the book of Amos. And if you, and if you, I don't know if you remember where we are. We stopped in chapter four. All right. We stopped in chapter four. So the goal tonight is to at least finish chapter four tomorrow. All hopefully tomorrow we're going to try to finish all of five and all of six. I don't even know if we can push it to seven. We will see because I got other things to do, but we will see. But here is where we stopped. All right. Um, if I said Ephesians, I don't know why I'm thinking Ephesians, but Amos chapter four. All right. Amos chapter four. And this is where we stopped. All right. This is very important. Uh, Amos chapter four. We stopped right. Let's see here. Where do I want to, uh, read? Um, where do we want to go back to? In fact, hang on. Um, Amos chapter four, verse four. All right. Amos chapter four, verse four. There we go. I, I, I had it. I had a mess. It's funny when you're used to using one Bible all the time, you just look at the page and you know exactly where it is. And all of a sudden I pick up a different Bible and I'm like, where did the verse go? I know we were in Amos chapter four. I know we haven't, I know it's been a while since we've talked about the book of Amos, but I know I haven't forgotten because while I was on vacation, I did my devotional time in the book of Amos. So I, I know that I hadn't forgotten but I looked at this Bible, I'm like, the verse is just gone because I got so used to where it is on the page. But here we go. Amos chapter four, very important. Verse four and verse five. This is where we stopped. Come come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this like liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. In other words, come to Bethel, come to Gilgal, worship but you're going to transgress in your worship. You can do all the right things. You can offer the right sacrifices. You can offer the right tithes. You can go through all the right motions, but you are transgressing in your worship. It's, it's a, there's a, maybe a little bit of sarcasm there. Maybe we talked about, do we read it as sarcasm or is it really just, come on, come on, go ahead and worship, go ahead and worship. But your worship is a transgression. Your worship is sin. And that really brought a very important discussion and I and I kind of gave everyone a, a, a special assignment to work on on trying to figure out how you and I can transgress in our worship how we can sin in our worship or as it reads come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal multiply transgressions so so transgress and multiply your transgressions I mean it's it's a it's a Frightening thought that every time you go to church, you could actually be transgressing because of something wrong in your worship. What makes your worship wrong? What what kind of worship does God not accept? And I told you to look up some cross-references, and, and maybe we'll circle back to that for its own study. But that's where we stopped. I, I think that's just a powerful uh, Amos. You remember, he, he he's from the southern kingdom of Judah, and he is sent to the northern kingdom to speak and to to, to call them and well, to speak of their sins and, and to speak their judgment is coming upon them and clearly in their worship. And now we know what's part of the problem at Bethel, golden calf, idolatry. They got lots of issues. So we talked a lot about that, but that's where we're, we're, we are, we stopped. I, I want to go back and just spend the whole evening talking about I, those, those two verses, Amos chapter four, verses four through five is those is, are two verses that really just, 
there's just so much there that I, I we, we could just, we could spend so much time on. But I hope you've given it much meditation and much thought, and uh, we will return to them. But for tonight, our job is to go from verse 6 to verse 13 of Amos chapter 4. Now, there, there are some very important issues here in verses 6 to 13. Very, 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 very important issues. But we're utilizing the teaching of Dr. J. Vernon McGee because his ministry has given us permission. So this is brought to you by Through the Bible Ministries of Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We appreciate them giving us permission. But we're not just using it like they, they've given me permission that I could just play it. I don't even need to use this for like fair use rules where I'm crit- critiquing and analyzing it. But we're using it more like as a springboard so that we're playing it and then we're kind of you're kind of getting his perspective. But then I'm offering mine and offering my own critique. He has some interesting things to say about Amos chapter four, starting in verse one, that we really disagree with and we question strongly. He had some interesting things to say about Amos chapter four and this sacrifice being offered with leaven. Um, and uh, we we think we can demonstrate that that was allowed in certain situations. So I don't think it was saying, hey, offer a wrong sacrifice. I think it was saying, hey, go ahead and do all the offerings correctly but you're still transgressing. You, in other words, there's a way you can worship in one way and a right way, but still be transgressing, which again, raises some very interesting discussions there. But we're now going to come to uh, Amos chapter four, starting in verse six to verse 13. We'll allow Dr. J. Vernon McGee to get us there this evening. I'll offer thoughts, put your thinking caps on, if you haven't been with us in our study, please go back to the Bible Study Exercise podcast series. Go all the way back to the beginning of our study of the book of Amos. Go back to our uh, our Bible Study Exercise messages on Bible study methods, where I gave you the comprehensive uh, book, Bible Study Method, that, and we're utilizing that method in our study of Amos. So if you've missed any of that, please go back. If you have any questions, email me, but let's not waste any more time because we've already wasted so much time and we're so far behind. Let's just jump in. I know there's no easy, smooth transition to get us back to it. And I I, I say it all the time. Let's just walk to the edge of the pool. We're just going to jump into the deep end. Amos chapter four, starting in verse six. And we begin that with with the teaching of the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And we do that right now. Now let's move on. In verse six, he says, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Now, cleanness of teeth doesn't mean that he had given them a panna or gleam toothpaste, nor had he sent them to a dentist. The reason they had clean teeth was they didn't have anything to eat. God had judged them with a famine that had not waked them up. And he says, and lack of bread in all your places, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Again and again, God repeats this phrase here, and you have not returned unto me. Now notice, and he says, Okay, there, this brings up, this section brings up a very, 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 very controversial, but important issue. And it's an issue that's caused Christians sometimes to say things that I think are very, is very foolish and very hurtful. But at the same time, it's caused some Christians to avoid the subject altogether. When bad things happen, right? In this particular case, in Amos chapter 4, Amos is pronouncing to Israel, to the northern kingdom, that God has given you cleanness of teeth. Hey, he, he took away food. 
And, and you had a want of bread, yet you have not returned unto me. They were lacking food. They were, they were missing out on food, yet they did not return. They did not repent. So even in a time of famine, it's, but it's clearly seems, it seems to understand that that famine, that lack of food was caused by God. Now, here's the thing. We, we have the book of Job to show you that bad things can happen. Horrible things can happen, but it doesn't mean it's judgment. Yet we have situations where bad things can happen, horrible things can happen, and it is judgment. Sometimes when bad things happen, like a hurricane hits a certain city, we'll say it's because of homosexuality. And then a hurricane will hit another city that has, well, a strong Republican governor who's taking a stand against the LGBTQ. Well, wait a minute. Well, there was a hurricane there. So why didn't God stop the hurricane there? Sometimes we, we blame that a, a horrible tragedy, famine, pestilence, flood, hurricane, disease. It's the judgment of God. Well, but then that same judgment will happen in a place where supposedly is not doing those things. So then how do you understand it there? Sometimes Christians, we make very foolish statements in regards to this. This is, I think, what we can understand. If we look at scripture, here's what we know. Sometimes bad things happen and it has nothing to do with judgment. Bad things happen to Job. It's He had not done anything wrong. He was not being judged for sin. There are times bad things happen and it is judgment for sin. So we don't always know why something is happening. Here's what we do know, whether bad things are happening not because of judgment or whether bad things are happening because of judgment. Here's what we do know. God is involved because he works all things according to his good pleasure and will. We may not understand the why, but we know the who. God is involved. Everything that happens, God is involved in. They are working because of his sovereign decrees, his eternal decrees. Now, we don't always like that because horrible things happen. Like, well, wait a minute. Why would God decree that? Why would God? And some people want to remove God from it and say, no, 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 God wasn't in control. Satan did it. Well, God is in, just like we see in Job, Satan couldn't do anything without God's permission. God was the one who let him do things. So God is the one in charge. We don't always know the reason why horrible things happen. And we need to, as Christians, don't run around telling everyone, well, bad things happen to you because you're in sin. Don't. You are not the one to tell people why something happened. You know theologically the who. You don't know the why. Because that's a part of God's eternal decrees. That's that's something that's in heaven that you do not know and you do not understand. And we have to keep that perspective because too many Christians want to tell people why something, oh, a hurricane happened. They're being judged by God. Yeah, oh, really? And then did you see that other state that supposedly is doing everything correct? And they're, they're the godly state. Oh, wait, they got hit with a hurricane. They got hit with the disease. Churches burned down, whatever the case may be. Be careful saying that. Be careful saying that. I, you say, well, what do we do when horrible things happen? Well, when horrible things happen, know that God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And say, God, if there is sin in my life, and if this is chastisement, if this is judgment, then I confess and I will work and I, and I will seek to turn from said sin. But here, this, we know this was chastisement brought to them, yet they did not return to God. 
Oh, there's a there's a theological issue we could get into here, but but just I just want you to this just raises the question and how we perceive bad things happening. And I think many Christians have done great damage with that. You know, they're all in the news. Well, the reason a hurricane hit here is because they're in sin. And you're like, well, then what about that state? And what about there? And why? It, you got to be careful with that stuff. If in here, Amos, it's been revealed to him by God. The only thing, the only way God is revealing things to us today is through his word and his word doesn't give us insight into why certain things are happening like that, right? So we have to be very careful. And also I have withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And that is fatal if it didn't come at that time. And I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon and the piece upon which it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water. In other words, they had to go away to another city to get water. But they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Again, he says, I'm the one that controls the rainfall. And some of us think the weatherman does it, but he doesn't. God still controls the rainfall. And he says, I judged you, and you didn't listen. You didn't get the message. You didn't return to me. And now he says in verse 9, I have smitten you with blight and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increase. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God says, I sent that to you as a judgment. This is just an interesting question that I can throw out there just to get you to think about it. Over and over in the Bible, we will see where God will intervene and bring some kind of judgment, some kind of chastisement upon his people to get them to return to the Lord. Sometimes maybe we see a return, but they always appear to either be very temporary or they don't return at all. Here, all of these judgments, yet you did not return, yet you did not return, yet you did not return. So here's an interesting question. Does external chastisement truly produce a meaningful return to the Lord? Or is it an internal work of God because of his grace and mercy that brings about a meaningful return to the Lord? What bring, what produces a true meaningful return to the Lord? External chastisement or an inward work of grace? I, I think, I mean, and, and, and yet, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying God does not bring chastisement. The, the Bible tells us he does. He, he chastises everyone he loves. Their chastisement is there. But I wonder, does external chastisement truly produce a meaningful return? Or what truly produces a meaningful return is some kind of an inward work of God's grace. Through the word of God, the spirit of God, some kind of an inward work. I just think over and over in the Bible, any external chastisement that produced a return the return never seemed to last in the Bible. I mean, you, you can tell me if you, if, if you think that that is true, that, hey, external 
chastisement. Oh, they return, but it's only temporarily. And then the next thing you know, they're complaining or they're, or they're griping or they're grumbling or they're, or they're turning to idolatry. It's like, and then judgment will come. Okay. Oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. And then, oh, wait, wait, wait. And then next thing you know, they go right back to, to idolatry, right back to apathy, right back to grumbling and complaining. I don't know if external judgment, external chastisement produces a true inward return. It may, it may produce an external return, but it never seeming to be lasting. I think that's something to think about. I would love to get your thoughts on that. The, the, it, it, you know, when there's an external chastisement that God brings, what what's the return like and is it lasting versus some kind of an inward work of God in, in a person to, to have them return to the Lord? I don't know. I'll, I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there. I think it's something to consider. Hoping that it would cause you to turn back to me, and it didn't. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young man have I slain with a sword and have taken away your horses, and I have made the stench of your camps to come up under your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Again and again, God repeats this, and he says, these are things I sent to you. I accept responsibility. I judge you with these things that are light. They weren't too severe. They were enough, though. They were serious. They were enough to cause you to return to me, but you didn't return to me. We're going to have to leave off right there, pick up there next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Now we have... That's where uh, they, when they, when they give you the, these MP3 files... These are edited like where, where radio would come in. So like that's where the radio announcer would come in and then they would get you ready for next week. But obviously all of that's been edited out. So that's where the radio announcer would come in. That's been removed. So now we'll move on to Amos chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. Let's continue. Of the next plague given here, and it's in verse 11. He says, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were like a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Now, actually, there are those that think this here is sort of a summation of the other plagues. Well, frankly, I rather doubt that. What I think was taking place at this time, in fact, I know was taking place, and you'll find that gives a background to the book of Jonah, because he was a prophet in the north, yet he was sent up to Nineveh. And at this time, the Assyrian was making forays down in the kingdom of the north and would strike here and there and the other place and would take the entire community, wherever it was, into captivity. Now, God was just permitting the Assyrian, like a bird, to peck here and there. And then they didn't get the warning. They at least didn't accept it. And they continued on in their evil way. Now, in verse 12, we read, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. 
Now, he doesn't tell them here what he's going to do. He says, here, I'm going to do this unto you, and because I will do this unto thee. Well, of all things, it's going to be a surprise. And it was the Assyrian captivity. That is, Assyria came down upon them suddenly and took them away into captivity. In other words, they just did not believe God. And the interesting thing is here, though, that he goes beyond these judgments and says, "'Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel.'" Because when Assyria came down, they didn't take all the people into captivity. They left a few, as we shall see in the next chapter, but many of them were slain. And that means that they were to meet God in death. And that is something that every individual will have to do, is to meet God in death. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And that is something that is a message to every individual today. A friend of mine that God had dealt with very definitely because of the sin that was in his life. He told me the story and how God had dealt with him. And the judgment that had come upon him was rather severe. It was something that a man can bear, but it certainly was severe. And I was sympathizing with him about it, naturally. And he said to me, he says, McGee, that's not the thing that disturbs me, the judgment that has come upon me. He said, I yet have to stand before God. And he says, I tremble. Well, I said, you know, Vernon McGee's going to have to stand before God. And I said, if I stood there as I am, I'd be frightened to death. But I'm not going to stand there as Vernon McGee. I'm in Christ, and God is going to see Christ. And I've been made acceptable in the Beloved. And he said to me, he said, yes, that's the only comfort that I have today for the life that I've lived. Well, my friend, that's a message for many of you listening in today. Prepare to meet thy God. Suppose right this moment you went into the presence of God, and some of you will be going there shortly, including the speaker. We may not be around too much longer. We do hope to finish this program, that is, the five-year program, and we finish this year. Then after that, I'm not asking the Lord for more time, although I'd like to have it, but I did want to finish the five-year program. But suppose that in the next few minutes you were to be in God's presence. What about it, friend? This life is past. Things down here that were important are no longer important, I can tell you that. This life down here has now become meaningless as to any purpose because you're out of it. You're through. You're finished. And you're in God's presence now. You maybe live to please people, tried to keep up with the Joneses, but that's ended now. You're in his presence. How are you going to stand before him? Don't you know that you can't stand in your own strength, your own life, your own character? You and I haven't anything to offer to him at all. We are bankrupt there. We were dead in trespasses and sin. 
And now we stand before it. The only way that you and I can stand there is in Christ. He was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, that you and I might stand before him justified. Why? Because we're such nice, good little folk. We are not. We're sinners. We stand before him because he was delivered for our offenses. He paid the penalty. Now, we stand before him in the righteousness of Christ. And that, my friends, is the only basis that we can stand before him. This is a tremendous passage. Say again, do you mind me saying that Amos is one of the great preachers? I can't think of a greater preacher than this man. And he was from the country. He was a country boy. Now, listen to him in verse 13. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought, who maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This is one of the most majestic, one of the most awe-inspiring statements that you will find anywhere. And it presents him here as the omnipotent, the omniscient, and the omnipresent God. He is the creator. He is the omnipotent God. He has all power. He formed the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought. He is omniscient. He knows your thought afar off. And then he is omnipresent. It says he treadeth upon the high places of the earth. No matter where you go, even if you go to the moon, you didn't get away from him, friends, and you cannot escape him. He knows you today. He is the omniscient, the omnipotent God. And he knows all about you. You and I have been able to keep up a pretty good front, haven't we? We've made our neighbors think we're pretty nice folk. We've made the church members think that we're decent. We've made everybody around us with whom we work think that we are all right. We may even make our wives think that we're very fine fellows. But you know, up yonder in heaven, how the thing is, the psalmist, if you'll recall when we were in the Psalms, in Psalm 90, verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. May I say to you that God knows you, and he knows me today. There's no use playing church anymore. There's no use keeping up the front, my friend. You just well go to him and turn yourself in. The FBI may not be on to you, and the police may not yet have caught up with you, but God already knows. I remember, and I can still hear Dr. Chaffer saying in class relative to this verse, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. He said, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. He knows all about you. And he knew all about this nation and about these people.
Now we come to chapter 5. And that's where we'll stop this evening. We'll stop at the, what, 31, basically 31 minute mark. 31, 35, 31, 35. Amos. All right, that's where we'll stop. We'll pick up there tomorrow. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee gets us through the rest of chapter four. We started with this, so we have to finish it. Um, that's a powerful, I guess to me, there's, there's a, a lot there to consider, right? So what I want you to consider tonight is again, this concept that when bad things happen, famine, flood, disease, disaster, whatever it is, we have a tendency to say, well, God is bringing judgment. And sometimes that is true. But we have other parts of scripture like Job where horrible things can happen and it's not judgment. So we can never say, oh, look, a hurricane happened. That's God judging. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Okay, all we know is this. God is the one in charge. God is working all things according to his good pleasure and will. We may not know the why, but we know the who. We can do this. God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we we can say this, that in whatever happens, God, whatever sin is in me, I confess it and I trust in Christ for his righteousness because in me, I am unrighteous. But be very careful when bad things happen. Just to know, we, we, God is in charge. There's no way to get around it. Sometimes we don't want God to be in charge of those bad things, but it's the way it is. He is. But you can't sit, sit in front of a microphone, stand in a pulpit, or tell people on social media why it's happening. You're not God. You don't speak for him. Amos could speak for him because he was sent and was given the message by God. All you have is scripture. Scripture tells you who is in charge of everything that happens. It doesn't necessarily tell you why something is happening. And we've got to stop with that. And then it raises the question, what really gets us to return to the Lord? Is it external judgment, external chastisement? Does that get us to return to the Lord or is it an inward work of grace? I think it's important to just consider how many times in the Bible an external chastisement, an external judgment occurs and you may get what appears to be a return to the Lord, but it always seems to be temporary. Isn't the only true change produced not by an external judgment, but by an inward work of God's grace and mercy through the spirit of God, by the word of God. You you can tell me what you think here. And then that beautiful passage in Amos chapter four, verse 13. Hey, prepare to meet your God. We all have to be prepared to meet God. We all have to, we are all going to meet God. And our only way we can prepare is to be in Christ. Because anything, when you stand before God in your own righteousness, you're going to be found guilty and you're going to be condemned. But if you stand in Christ, then you're found perfect because of his imputed righteousness. That is your only hope. But the God we have to prepare to meet is a God who is Ephesians, or Ephesians, Amos chapter four, verse 13, the one that formeth the mountains and createth the wind, the omnipotent, all powerful creator God. He declareth unto man what is his thought. 
right? That is, that is a God who's all knowing. He's omniscient. And then uh, he maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. Our God is omnipotent, all powerful. He is creator. He's omniscient. He is all knowing and he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. That is the God you are going to meet. And your only way to be prepared is to be in Christ. That concludes Amos chapter 4. We only had a little bit to go, and I apologize that we had to do it this way, but that gets us now set up for chapter 5. So tomorrow, October the 13th, we will work on chapter 5 and chapter 6, but we will definitely at least finish, we will finish chapter 5 tomorrow, one way or the other. That is a guarantee. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Um, and please go back and listen to everything else we've done on the book of Amos. We've got, we, we've got a lot to do and we're running out of time, but we will get there. And uh, if you have any questions or thoughts about anything that we talked about this evening, email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.